Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's take our Bibles and go tonight to James chapter 5. James chapter number 5 and it's um, going by fast for me and I'm grateful for the privilege to be here. I'm thankful for Pastor letting me come and pinch hit and be a part of your revival meeting, and, and uh, Pastor and his uh, <clears throat> wife have been very hospitable, appreciate so very much the accommodation, staying right around the corner, and uh, at the Grace Baptist Hilton, and it was very, very nice, and, and I appreciate so very much the thoughtfulness and how things are uh, uh, laid out in there, just making it a, a conducive uh, environment so that can be ready to go when the service comes, and and then just uh, extremely thoroughly have enjoyed the fellowship with your pastor, and just being able to sense and see and his heart for God, and uh, it's 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 contagious. It's uh, and that's the way it ought to be. Uh, you know, people are so afraid you're going to catch something from somebody. Well, we ought to be catching uh, more of God from people. And uh, just stay out of Walmart, and you'll be fine health-wise. And <laughs> I was avoiding Walmart before COVID ever came around. I just was making my own mental poll. When our people went to Walmart, they came out with the flu. And uh, I think Walmart and Wuhan go together somehow, and I don't know. And, this, and so you're going to get into politics. If I want to, I will. I, I sure will. And I can do that. Some of you are like you're catching the flu all of a sudden, uh, sitting there and but, uh, you know, we, we, ought, we ought to stay in church. And, uh, in fact, the Hebrews tells us so much the more as we see the day approaching, not so much the less. You know what we saw in COVID churches all around, and, and your church probably has, has experienced this, but we gained a lot of people at Canaan Baptist Church simply because the doors were open. And people were coming saying, our church still hasn't opened up. I'm thinking... Did they lose their Bible? Did they lose their Bible? And, and it's just tragedy that, that has occurred. But I'm grateful for the fact that we can be in church. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're one of the crazy people. If you've been in church each night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. Uh, well, the Bible has a different way of presenting it. It says we're peculiar people. But that's the kind of powerful, peculiar people this world needs. And um, I, I am I'm glad for the decisions that are being made. I thought the prayer meeting last night was a very special meeting. God met with us. And I've been in prayer meetings where I did the talking, and I've been in prayer meetings when God showed up. And God showed up last night. And uh, do you know he wants to do that on a regular basis? And what a, what a place that this would be whenever you recognize when God's here and when God's not here, and you're going to be careful to make sure God shows up and meets with us. So grateful for that. Well, we're at James chapter number 5. Remember what we've said? 
Prayer can do anything that God can do. You should have that memorized by now, right? Let's say that together. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And as God can do anything and everything, prayer is omnipotent. Well, we're going to stand together, if you would please, out of respect for the Bible. James chapter 5. And we're going to look beginning in verse number 16 and through verse number 18. James writes, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Tonight I want to preach a simple message as we close out this revival emphasis and obviously not closing out the revival because uh, that's what God uh, is uh, God is the one who brings about revival and, and he wants to continue that and remember he wants to deepen it and spread widen the circle but we want to bring this particular meeting to an end and I want to preach on this thought praying that makes a difference you can pray in such a way like Elijah James is telling us this the Holy Spirit wrote it and he says that we can pray like Elijah. Elijah is just like you. So you, you and I can pray just like him. You want to be able to pray and pray that makes a difference in your life and in the lives of others? Well, James gives us some insight. Let's take a look at it tonight, shall we? Thank you. Please be seated. Someone came to Albert Einstein in 1952. A Princeton doctoral student asked Albert Einstein, what original dissertation research is left? Albert Einstein, intrigued and inspired by the answer or by the question, gave this simple answer. Find out about prayer. Find out about prayer. And I want to suggest God has been telling us that long before Einstein came along. John G. Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides and he tells a story that one night a group of tribesmen surrounded his home. The tribesmen were determined to burn down the building and kill Mr. Patton and his wife. Alone in a strange land and far from home with no one who could help them. The Pattons spent the entire night in prayer. And they expected, they fully expected their home to go up in flames at any moment. The hours passed without an attack. When morning came, the Pattons got up from their knees and looked out the window. They were astonished to see that the hostile tribesmen had left. Instantly, they dropped to their knees again and they thanked God for the deliverance that they had experienced. Well, the Pattons continued in their mission endeavor and work in evangelizing the tribesmen and bringing people to Jesus. 
About a year of evangelistic efforts later, the chief of the tribe became a believer. Remembering that night of terror, Patton asked the chief, what was it that prevented y'all from attacking us and burning down our building that night? The chief replied, we were afraid of the men that protected you. What men? asked Patton. There were no men protecting us. It was just my wife and I in the house alone. The chief insisted, no, no. There were many men around your house, men with shining clothes and drawn swords in their hands. They stood around the building and they would not let us harm you. It was at that very moment that Mr. Patton realized why he and his wife had been spared. God had answered their prayers. They knew how to pray in such a way that made a difference. And God had answered their prayers and sent angels to protect them from attack. Listen tonight. It's not just our country that's in trouble. But your home is in trouble. Your heart is in trouble. This very church is in a battle. And the battle that is raging is a battle that only prayer can answer. The very moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you entered into a battle. Not a physical battle, but it's a spiritual battle. In fact, Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. However, this spiritual battle does affect us in the physical realm. You see, what happens too often is people are dealing with the physical things that they see, the physical things that they feel, and many times they don't get to the root that is causing it. Like Paul said, it's not with flesh and blood where the real battle lies. The battle is not fought. The battle is not won by human effort or self-determination. You know, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, the battle is fought. The battle is won on our knees. It was Jim Elliott who said, God is still on his throne. We are still his footstool. And there is only a knees Distance, difference between. I'm convinced that the Bible clearly reveals that our most powerful weapon against Satan and his cohorts, as well as the most effective means of advancing God's kingdom, is what we've been talking about this week. It's prayer. The devil cares little about how many activities you're engaged in. The devil really cares little about how many organizations we develop. He doesn't worry if we labor from sunup to sundown. He doesn't. He knows that without prayer, however, all the machinery of the church is useless for lack of power. Samuel Chadwick said the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. 
the effectiveness of the early church. If you're going to understand that, why the book of Acts, the early church was effective, you have to understand the priority that they placed upon prayer. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, Pentecost, thousands were saved. It was preceded by a concert of prayer. In Acts chapter 4, we find the first wave of persecution that took place and the disciples united themselves in prayer and the result was they all became filled with the Spirit of God once again and they were empowered in their preaching and they received boldness in the face of persecution and saw great results of people saved. In Acts chapter number 6, the apostles were so convinced of the importance of prayer that they chose seven men to help with the duties of the church so that the apostles could spend more time in prayer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's release from prison was the direct result of the entire church united in prayer. I want to say tonight, if we're going to advance in our Christian walk and, and God go deeper in our life and the circle widen, and if we're going to experience our daily victory and know what it's like in, in not just the, knowing the position of being a conqueror, but being practically experiencing on a daily basis the reality of being a conqueror in Jesus Christ and no victory over the flesh and the devil, if we're going to find the same spiritual power and effectiveness as did the early church, then and we're going to have to understand how to pray in such a way that makes a difference. And that starts with what is told, us, uh, told to us here in James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. See, I'm reminding us again that Jesus taught his disciples not how to preach but how to pray. He didn't speak much of what was needed to preach well, but he did say much as how to pray well. Why? Because to know how to speak to God is more important than knowing how to speak to man. And sometimes men will, will sense the call of ministry upon their life. I'm going to go into ministry. And the thought sometimes is, I got to go to Bible college. I got to go. Why do you got to go to Bible college? Well, I got to learn how to preach. I need to learn. I want to tell you, Bible college will be a waste to you until you learn what Jesus taught his disciples. And that's how to pray. Before you even should even be qualified to stand before men, to speak to men, you better learn how to speak to God. Because you're an ambassador for who? An ambassador for Jesus Christ. No wonder it was Jesus who placed the emphasis upon getting into your closet and spending time upon your knees. Power with God is more important. Power with God is more important than power with men. And I want to tell you that that which our church is in desperate need of, which we desperately lack, is the power of Almighty God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 22 and verse number 29, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Paul prayed in Philippians 3 and verse 10, the aged Paul, not, not the lost Paul, but the saved apostle writer of much of the New Testament. Paul, what, do you have any prayer requests? He said, Philippians 3, 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, and so many times in our churches, 
It is so cold. It's so dark. It's so dry. Oh, so many churches, you can hear a gnat burp, and no one thinks anything about it. I want to tell you, some of you feel like you've been in church long enough. You have a degree on religion, and if you'd burp, you'd get over it because all you have is indigestion because you don't have power. If you had power, you'd be seeing people brought to Jesus. If you had power, you'd have joy flowing from your soul. But the truth of the matter is, we reek of powerlessness. Oh, so dry. I'm okay with the library atmosphere in a library. But if we're people who have truly been placed positionally as conquerors of Jesus Christ, there should be a conquer mindset. Oh, preacher, you just don't know. We're up here in Ohio. We're not like it is down there. Uh, I've seen some Ohio fans. I I, I have a TV. It only comes on every now and then, but I've watched some games out of Ohio. Especially when there's an Ohio and there's a Michigan. Don't tell me there's not some emotion somewhere in one's body. But Jesus didn't die just to save your body. He died to save your soul. And if a football is going to get somebody on their way to hell excited, how much more should Jesus get some of us excited? I'm saying we need to know something of the power of God. And if we're ever going to be experiencing the power and the flow and the favor and the fire of God, it's not going to happen until we understand this matter of prayer. And I believe Jesus truly loves to teach his children how to pray. He does. And I'm discovering new dimensions to prayer that I've not known before. It's just like this coming summer, I'll celebrate 25 years with my wife. And, um, and, and, and it gets better. It gets better. And those of you who have been married uh, and in a relationship like that uh, where, where you recognize you have to keep investing, but it gets better. It, it doesn't get, get boring. It gets better. It, it's, I, I, I love her more. I, I loved her as much as I knew to love her 25 years ago, but I love her more the more I know her, the more I spend with her, time with her. I love her. And the same with Jesus. You never get bored in the presence of God. Oh, your prayers should be, always be larger than your memories. I, I sometimes would hear people say, well, around here used to be, used to be good. It used, we just had some of those great days in the days of old. You know what that tells me? It tells me you don't know Jesus real well. You don't. Because if you knew Jesus well, the best days would be the rest of the days of your life, or you wouldn't be here. I mean, in other words, if Jesus is wrong about that, you, you, you'd be in heaven. But because of Jesus... You just study Paul. Do you ever find Paul uh, saying, I just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to die here in a little bit, and there's really nothing to talk about. There's nothing. No, he's still writing. And we have the privilege and the benefit. And when Paul talks in Philippians, he says, Some stuff happened to me. Things happened to me. And you just pass right over it. If you ever sit down and look at what are the things he's talking about, I mean, he, he got beat. He got hurt. He has been arrested. And he just says some things. Just some, some things. 
Because he's getting to, the book of Philippians is the jewel of joy. He's telling you he found this great precious jewel and you too can have it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, I say, rejoice. And the, and the apostle Paul, he's saying because of praying. And James is telling us because of praying, our prayers should always be big. Keep your prayers big. As long as God is omnipotent, your prayers should never insult God. Ravenhill said, a man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. Spurgeon said, a prayerful church is a powerful church. I said this the other day, Sunday morning attendance, it tells you how popular this church is. Sunday night attendance, it'll tell you how popular your pastor is. But prayer meeting, it tells you how popular God is. Virgin said, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first evidences of his absence would be a slothfulness in prayer. Spurgeon said this too, believe me, and I do believe him. He says, if a church does not pray, it's dead. I want to say, if a person doesn't pray, you're dead. Spiritually dead, just powerless. Now, in the book of James, just give us the context here. He talks about prayer quite often. Chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Chapter 1 and verse 6, let him ask in faith. Chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. In chapter 5, verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Chapter 5, verse 14, is any sick among you? Call for the elders, let them pray. In chapter 5 and verse 15, and the prayer of faith. And we come to verse number 16, he says, pray one for another. And then he continues saying, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now the passage here that we've just read in the verses preceding this, it deals with the power of healing the healing power of prayer but i want to remind you that there's more that needs healing than just people's bodies but there might be some in here who need healing if this church is like most churches we know somebody who is in dire need of physical healing but there are also souls that need to be healed and some were prayed about last night our churches need healing. Our homes need healing. Wounded spirits need to be healed. Minds need to be healed. Indeed, bodies need to be healed. And James is telling us how to pray so that it makes a difference and it results in the healing power of God within our lives. Several things we can see here. But I want you to just see a few things. I, I trust that will help us and just make practical sense here. Notice in verse 16. If we're going to learn to pray so as that it makes a difference. Number one, there's confession that precedes powerful pray. Confession. Confession. Notice in verse number 16, what's the first word? Say it with me. Confess. Try it again. Say it. Confess. Now, the word confess here is something that scares a lot of people. I don't want to confess. And perhaps that's the reason we don't see more healing. 
Maybe that's a reason we don't experience more answers to prayer. This is the reason that prayers are not answered in other realms as well as in the realm of healing. Maybe somebody getting saved. Maybe your home being helped. We're great at concealing our sin. But here he says to confess. Confess. Now we love to criticize friends. We love to castigate our foes. But we don't like to confess our faults. But the Bible doesn't tell us to criticize our friends. The Bible doesn't tell us to castigate our foes. But the Bible does say we're to confess our faults. But that's the last thing any one of us really wants to do. Especially the ones that are the proud and pious. You're doing everything you can. You worked hard to put your makeup and and your your uh, happy clappy face on and 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 to be able to cause people to think that you're 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 just a good person i want to tell us tell you right off jesus says no you're not you're not good none of us are good well when we got saved well positionally because of jesus jesus is what makes us righteous you and i don't have that we have only what jesus gives us but we in ourselves Paul says this, I put no confidence in myself. If Paul was so lovely, why wouldn't he put confidence in himself? Because Paul's not the answer. Jesus is. Someone said to err is human, but also so is covering up erring. The enemy's playground is secrecy and hypocrisy. You remember, I think it's Luke chapter number 7, we find Simon the Pharisee, he invites Jesus into his home. And the Bible tells us explicitly in that passage that the host did not take to the needs of Jesus, didn't wash his feet. And they go to supper and they go to eat and, and they're reclined in their typical uh, Palestinian posture and, and they're reclined on their, their arm and their feet are away from the table. And in this room burst a woman. And she comes in and, and she uh, is a woman that the Bible describes as full of sin. In other words, that's a nice way of saying she's a loose, immoral woman. And she burst into that room and, and she comes in unannounced and uninvited. And no doubt the religious leader, Simon being one of them, is staring at her with great uh, trouble in his in his eyes and he sees her and she comes to the feet of Jesus and she washes his feet and, and with tears, tears flowing from her face and she wipes his, his feet with her hair. And don't confuse this with the Marys of the Bible. That's not her. This is another woman. And here she, she wipes his feet and cleans his feet and she anoints him and, and, and pours the oil upon him. And the Bible tells us Simon, he thinks Jesus is who he says he is. He'd know who this woman really is. And Jesus answers his question that he didn't ask out loud. And he asked him a question. And what Jesus is getting across to Simon and to others is what keeps you from worshiping me at my feet. 
Simon is very dignified. He had memorized all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And yet he's looking upon Jesus and saying, if Jesus only knew who this woman was. Jesus is explaining that this woman has done what every single person ought to be doing. You know the difference between this woman and Jesus, uh, and, and Simon rather, and Jesus, Jesus is making the distinction, this woman is broken. But the truth is, Simon is broken. The truth is, so are you. The truth is, so am I. Yet the difference between Simon and this woman, the woman knows I'm broken. Simon doesn't. The only ones who enter into prayer at the feet of Jesus are the ones who are broken and know it. The rest are broken, messed up, but they don't know it. Do you know why I pray? Because I have to. Because in prayer, I'm saying, God, I can't. You can. Do you know why some of you don't pray? It's because you think you can. You think you're pretty good. You think you're okay. You've gotten this far. You've gotten along this well. And you're even saying, if only God knew just about that person over there. And you think it's your calling to put them in their place. I want to tell you, friend, meeting with Jesus at his feet. It requires some confession. A facade only reinforces Satan's oppressive hold in one's life. God demands that this covering of sin be identified, exposed, and broken. If an individual is to experience lasting personal victory from plaguing habits and strongholds and unresolved turmoil. How is it that we tend to cover sin? How do we, we keep there from being confessions? I mean, someone says, well, it says here, confess your faults, not sin. Well, the word fault here means the wrong way. And confessing your fault means um, I, I've gone the wrong direction. I thought wrong. I said wrong. I, I, I kinda, I'm kind of leaning wrong. Uh, in other words, James says in verse chapter number 4, draw nigh to God. He, he will draw nigh to you. Sometimes people say, I wonder if we're going to have revival. I used to go in every, every week in a revival meeting and somebody say, do you think we're going to have revival this week? I said, I sure do, because if you don't, I will. It hinges upon you drawing close to God. In James 5, when he says, confess your faults, confess you're not drawing nigh to God. Are you with me? Transparent. Why aren't you experiencing revival blessing? Why aren't you experiencing the power of God? Why aren't you experiencing? And many times that covering is saying, uh, how do you know I'm not? Well, the truth of the matter is, people around you know you're not. Everyone else. Someone says, well, as far as I can tell, I'm right with God. Well, that's part of our problem because you can't tell that far. 
What did David pray? He said in Psalm 139, Search me, O David. Is that what he said? Search me, O God. Because your heart and mine is still deceitful and desperately wicked. But you ask God to search it, he's not going to leave anything out. And when you get God on the equation, into the equation, if you're trying to draw near to God, you're going to be concerned that what God points out, that what God exposes, you don't want to conceal. But how do we tend to cover sin? Well, sometimes we maintain silence unless someone else confronts us. In other words, we're just waiting. We're, we're waiting to see if pastor ever comes to us. No, you're not going to pray with effectiveness if you're waiting to be confronted. We respond to confrontation like, um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, you ever heard people talk about chapter, show me chapter and verse. Well, when it comes to someone trying to point out something's not right. I mean, I, like I open up the refrigerator at home, sometimes I'll smell a smell, and I just say, something's not right. And my wife says, well, what is it? I don't know. That's not my job. You figure it out. I don't know. I, I, I am very, very particular about, I look at the expiration date of everything. If it's within one day of expiring, I, I'm, I'm not going to use it. I'm not, especially milk. I'm not going to do it. My wife says, smell it. I'm not smelling it. No, I, I'm looking at the expiration date. And sometimes the expiration date says I've got a whole week and it still has been bad. And so, but I, but I, I just, I'm, we're, something's not right. And, and people who are not transparent, people who are not in the confessing our faults that we're not drawing near to God, and sometimes what happens is we accuse others. Oh, I know, I, I know what they're doing. I know they've got, they've got this motive. I, I know something's just off about them. We put on an emotional front of remorse sometimes to avoid a confrontational confrontation. Sometimes we use acts of kindness and words of flattery. Sometimes uh, we're like King Saul. Remember King Saul in 1 Samuel 15? He was told to, to kill all Agag and everything else, and, but he didn't. He kept Agag alive. He kept the best of the sheep. And the preacher Samuel comes along, and, and what does uh, uh, King Saul do? He says, blessed be thou, man of God. Oh, amen, preacher. Mm, preacher Samuel, good stuff. Amen. Blessed be thou uh, of the Lord. And what is he doing? He's just giving flattery to help cover up the fact that he's covering up. James says, if we're going to pray that makes a difference, we're going to have to be transparent and confess. Sometimes we put the responsibility on others to do the Work of investigation like a lawyer. We, we, we shouldn't have to have um, uh, these kind of uh, investigations uh, in a service, in a revival meeting, when it comes to well, why, why is God grieved? Why is God not meeting with us? There, there ought to be people who are just simply saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. Sometimes we just stop showing up or coming around. We're just, we think out of sight, out of mind. I don't have to deal with it. There's one problem. When you stop coming to the place where you ought to be, you still take your problem with you wherever you go. 
We don't want to confess our faults, but I'll tell you, there are some definite results that come when we obey what James says here in the Word of God, when we confess our faults. We sang the song uh, earlier, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to forgive any sinner. And whatever sin that God's light reveals, the blood of Jesus, it can heal. But we must uncover our sin before the blood can cover our sin. And so transparency. I'm telling you in our prayer meetings, transparency is important. Transparency is important. Sometimes, uh, Pastor, in, in our prayer meetings, and, and people will have, you'll, you'll sense this, when, when there's a lull in a prayer meeting, it's quiet, people don't like that. You ever been in a conversation when I do some counseling? Um, I'll ask a question, and um, I don't mind there to be awkward silence. Sometimes I've sat for five minutes letting the man squirm. In the prayer meeting, don't feel like you've got to fill that void. Sometimes God is doing a work and, and sometimes we can just talk just for the sake of chattering because we, it's just that awkward silence. No, it's about taking the mask off. And sometimes God is doing a deeper work within our lives. What happens when we confess our sin? We get transparent. Well, one of the things that happens is there's restoration. When you apply the truth of confession before God, first you're going to find healing concerning sin. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, what does the word confess mean? It just means agree with God. Get honest, agree with God. See, confession of sin does not mean Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. Please forgive me of my many sins. Do you know that Judas Iscariot said these exact words? I have sinned. And he still went to hell. Achan said these exact words. I have sinned. And they stoned him to death. Saul said, I have sinned. And he lost the kingdom. See, Bible confession is not saying a rote prayer. Bible confession is agreeing with God. Look this way. When we agree with God, what we're saying is, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Bible confession is drawing a line and says, here I am on this side, but God is on this side, and because of my sin, because of my iniquity, because of my faults, because I'm not drawn near to God as I should, God, I'm not going to justify. God, I'm not going to criticize. God, I'm not going to argue with you. God, I'm coming over to your side. God, you're right, and I am wrong. I agree with you with what you say about my lustful thoughts. I agree with you with what you say about my anger. Someone says, well, I have an anger problem because I'm Irish. No, you have an anger problem because you're filled with sin. That's why. And someone says, well, you know, I, I, I just think lustful thoughts because, you know, I've grown up in a construction atmosphere. No, you think lustful thoughts because you're not appropriating the conquer mindset that Jesus Christ provides. And the sooner you agree with God instead of arguing with Him, the sooner you're going to be able to pray a prayer that makes a difference. You see, a lot of times people deal with sin 
thinking they deal with sin, but they're only dealing with guilt. So a kid gets caught cheating and then comes forward and, God, please forgive me. But really, until there's an agreement with God and you find that through transparency, you're not dealing with sin, you're just dealing with guilt. A man gets caught by his wife looking at pornography, and so he gets to the altar, he gets to the pastor, and he goes through all this stuff. But he's not really agreeing with God until he takes off the mask and he gets humble and transparent. And see, dealing with guilt is not the issue. If you're involved in drinking, you're involved in pornography, you're involved in cheating, you're involved in that junk that put Jesus on the cross, you ought to feel bad about it. But Jesus didn't die for you feeling bad. He died for the sin. And you must be willing to deal in transparency and confession with the sin. And so there's restoration. You can be made right with God. And when you're made right with God, then there's another aspect that happens when there's confession and transparency, and that is reconciliation. There might be somebody in here who has resentment towards somebody else. You've resented. You resent being here. You resent that your wife has a heart for God, prays for you when you ought to be a man and be the one leading. I love what Joshua said. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve God. In other words, in order for you, before you could ever be worthy of leading your family, you've got to be the one that says, I'm all in. As for me, Joshua, as for me. He didn't say, as for my wife and children. He says, as for me and my house. Why? Because he's demonstrating that he truly loves by truly leading. And he was a man of great transparency. I want to ask you, is there someone in here that you have ought with, bothered by, bitter? You need to be honest. You need to confess your faults. Have you confessed to someone lately? People who are serious about clearing themselves before God, they're not going to take the cowardly smokescreen route and come and say, if I have done something to offend you, if, no, ifs never solve anything. If you did wrong, Deal with it. Own up to it. If you did not, then keep quiet. What's going to happen? You start confessing. You get transparent. Do you know the greatest example in the Bible of transparency? Jesus. Jesus. And so John says, walk in the light as he's in the light. Get into the light. That's Bible confession. Get into the light. That's where Jesus is found. When you get into the light, you'll be able to be in fellowship with Jesus. You get into the light, and you're confessing, and you're transparent. Then you're going to have reconciliation with others, and you're going to recognize this body is, is more important to Jesus than it is to me. But it ought to take on greater significance because Jesus shed his blood for this body called Grace Baptist Church. And then revival can occur. Every great revival is marked absolutely marked and saturated with this one thing. Confession. Transparency. Getting into the light. 
never will you find a revival where that's not been the characteristic. And so there must be confession. Notice, if you would please, in verse 16, confess your faults one to another. And what's the next word? Pray. Pray. All right, I'm glad the two of you saw that. Let's see if the rest of us can do that. All right? Look at it again. Confess your faults one to another and... So there now is, once there's confession, now there is intercession. The confession of a fault. Then there is prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer, he goes on to tell us. And it literally means this kind of praying that is stretched out. It speaks of intensity. Intensity. You know... People come and, you know, they come to church. They, they come in, uh, you know, their wagon's dragging. They come in and just, oh, you know, just, uh, is, is, is there anything? Are they going to show a movie tonight or, you know, what are they going to do? I would tell you, I, I used to feel like we got to cater to the people that, that really don't give a rip about God. But I'm not catering to those people. I, I, it is not my job as a pastor to cater to consumers. People have in this mindset today, they go to a restaurant, they go to the store. The customer is always right. And churches have done the same thing. Uh, well, I think people, they'd like, they would be more entertained if we throw a drum set up here. They'd be more entertained if we have a dance and praise team. Oh, they're going to be more. Why would we make the church less churchy? It's like saying, where are we going to go eat? Can we find a restaurant that's less foodie? Why should the man of God appeal to a consumer? God never called your pastor to cater to the consumer. He called the pastor to equip God's people to be disciples. And what James is talking about is if we're going to pray that makes a difference, there needs to be transparency. And then he says there's a kind of praying and the intercession involved. And he says it's the effectual fervent praying. And this effectual fervent praying, it speaks of intensity. Too often we're lackadaisical you know that word don't even try to spell it it'll take you too long to figure it out but lackadaisical uh, you know if you're too busy to pray you're busier than what God wants you to be listen listen to me God does business with those that mean business God does business with those individuals who mean business with God when, when are you going to recognize that God's looking for you. Listen, you can play on your phone all you want to, but I'm telling you, buddy, God's looking for you. And you can sit and pout and shout. You can park it. You can lump it. You can pay rent, whatever you want to do with it. You've got an appointment with God. And somehow somebody told you that it's okay to be a big baby, but the truth of the matter is until you get serious about what God is trying to do in your life, you're not going to experience what God's trying to do in your life. You can tell I, I never took any lessons from Joel Osteen, that's for sure. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I don't have enough time in my, I don't know how long I'm going to live. 
I'm 49, and I've been thinking for the last 10 years since I was 39, I don't have long, I don't have long, I don't have long. I don't, I'm not here to give a speech. I'm not here to make you follow. I'm not running for office. I don't need your vote. I'm trying to get people to see that God wants to meet with us. There is no truth. There is no truth that motivates me more than this. Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. God wants to meet with us. God wants to meet with us. And yet, God's people are the very ones who are not serious about what God wants to do. Just not serious. I, I, I look at it today, I, I, and I just say, if you're not interested, then, then here, here's this, here's a gospel track. At least take the gospel track and see how you can be saved. Because if you're not into, if you say you're saved and you're not interested in the one who saved you, I say you need to seriously question as to whether or not you're saved. Getting saved is not getting a ticket out of hell. Nowhere in the Bible do you see, nowhere in the Bible do you see, get saved just so you can go to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that. God saves a person to change their life. And when you are not in, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you are not interested and the God of heaven changing the very life that he shed his blood for, I say you probably are not saved. Man, I wish I knew how to be plainer about that. And when you're saved, he wants to teach you how to come into his presence. But he says it's not going to happen until you get transparent. When's the last time you just got broken before God? And when you get transparent, confession, you can move into praying. Genesis 32, verse 6, Jacob prayed. He got a hold of God, and he said, Oh, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. I wonder how many times have we prayed that way? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm not going to let you go. I wonder how many times, day after day after day after day, is God trying to get a hold of you? I've got something for you. It'll change your life. You need some peace and joy. Quit looking for peace and joy. They're not found in something. They're found in someone. And God is saying, can't you come? Can't you just stay for a little bit? And Jacob was just like me. Jacob is just like you at times when we say, I just got too much to do and I'm going to get busy in doing things for him. And there came a point in time when, when God helped Jacob to see, you think you've got it together. But what happens when I just touch right here? And Jacob was like, oh, God, don't go anywhere. God, don't leave me. And God can just put his finger do you know it doesn't matter how much money you have? It does not matter how much. God can put a hole in your pocket and it can all change overnight. It can just take one diagnosis and your world be turned upside down. I'm just simply saying, life is fragile. Why don't we see on a regular basis that the giver of life, life itself, wants to meet with us. He wants to give us abundant life. And Jacob clung to him and said, God, I'm not going to let you go. I am not going to let you go. Do you know what he's saying now? 
I'm transparent. I'm all in. And when he gets all in, oh, it changes his life. Why? Because God does business with those that mean business. I've had to pray that way sometimes. I tell you, I've just gone in and I said, God, my heart's cold. I'm not interested in this, but I've got to hold on to you until you get a hold of me. I've gotten on my knees and I've tried to pray and all the forces of hell come against me. My mind will run like a squirrel in a cage and I get sleepy. I begin to drool. I start saying one thing to God and my mind starts thinking about something else. My knees begin to hurt when I'm on my knees and my body aches and all kinds of things happen to me. Anyone ever experienced that before? I'm glad I'm not the only one. And the devil will let loose all the artillery of hell to keep me from praying. And I've had to say like Jacob, Lord, I'm not going to let you go. If I die on my knees, I'm going to stay here until I have a consciousness of your presence until I'm at heaven's throne. And when I come to that mindset, it's like it doesn't take long before we enter into that throne meeting with Jesus. I'm telling you, we were at his throne last night. But what I'm saying is there are times where you're not going to feel like there's going to be times where maybe you're not quite getting there and you're going to think we were the other night why aren't we here tonight because sometimes we may just need to get the mask off and get transparent and get honest you know God does business with those that mean business with God the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much I like what Stephen Alford said I love this listen are you still with me Pray when you feel like it. And when you don't feel like it, pray until you do. That's what Jacob was doing. Pray when you feel like it. And when you don't feel like it, pray until you do. You don't have to be a spiritual giant before God answers your prayer. Yet God expects you to enter His presence with a keen sense of need for His involvement in your life. And the prayers of a desperate sinner always gain God's immediate attention. When he speaks about this, notice in verse number 16, notice again, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And here he speaks of cleanness, I believe, integrity. Man tends to measure spiritual victory, rightness, based upon how we do. But we need to recognize we can be clean. Our our hands can be clean. Our heart can be clean. God's measure of spiritual victory is not getting cleaner. Do you know because of 1 John 1, 9, you can be clean. 1 John 1, 9 teaches you can be as right with God as the very moment you got saved. That's what it says. So it's not, oh, I hope I can get cleaner. I've been a mess. No, it's not degrees. It's get clean. Get clean. And so that's the kind of praying that I want you to see. Here's the last point. Not only do we see the, the confession. If we're going to pray that makes a difference, there's a confession that precedes powerful praying. Number two, there is intercession that is included in powerful prayer. And this, when he says again, effectual, fervent prayer, it's this idea of being stretched out, this idea of intensity. But notice number three, there's an illustration. He gives us an illustration to demonstrate powerful praying. Notice in verse 17. 
Elias, which is who? Elijah. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And what happened? He got an answer. He prayed again, verse 18. And what happened? God answered. And God gives us this illustration to help us see we too can pray like Elijah. Because he says Elijah is like us so that we can pray like him. We're talking about Elijah. Elijah was not an extraordinary man. He was an ordinary person like us. He was a man of like passions. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, he had a wonderful victory. In chapter 19, we find him running from who? You remember who he ran from? Jezebel. He gets depressed. He puts his face upon the ground, and he asks God to kill him, and he prays that he might die. And so that's who we're talking about, Elijah. And God says, yet he prayed. I answered his prayer on multiple occasions, and you can pray this way as well. A woman asked G. Campbell Morgan, Dr. Morgan, should I bother God with my small request? Morgan replied, lady, all requests to God are small. God, can you part the Red Sea? That's a small request. You ask me, I can't do it. You ask God, nothing's impossible. Do you get the point? Whether it's Elijah or you, God can answer any of our prayers. He, it makes me feel better that if God can answer a prayer for a man who's depressed and despondent and is asking God to kill him, he can answer my prayer. He can answer your prayer. Would you hold your place here? Let's go over to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 1 Kings, all right? And go over there, 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's see this that he's talking about. All right, you there? All right, look at verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. All right, you see Mount Carmel again. We've seen Mount Carmel in the story of Elijah before. Now, Ahab, look at the contrast between this King Ahab and Elijah. Ahab is about feasting and partying. Elijah is about fasting and praying. Elijah was a man who knew how to get alone with God. A Christian should never let it, any adversity get him down unless it takes you to your knees. Don't ever be bummed about a problem. I'm facing a problem. Well, go to your knees. Every day, you and I live either as Ahab or Elijah. We're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to be about feasting and party. Or we're going to be like Elijah, fasting and praying. In other words, it's going to be either about pursuing what we want or pursuing what God wants. James is illustrating using a person of, uh, 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 of prayer, of an 
ordinary life of a man called Elijah, but he's in a special place of prayer. Notice in verse number 42, what does he do? Elijah, he casts himself down upon the earth, puts his face between his knees. We see that Elijah is a humble man. He didn't strut into the presence of God. Here's a man bowed down with his head between his knees, humiliated, broken before God. Do you know why he was bold as a lion when he was brought before Ahab? Because he knew how to kneel before God. See, the purpose of prayer is not to get the attention of men. The purpose of prayer is to get the attention of God. And a man who knows how to kneel before God can stand before anybody. Who's going to fear King Ahab when he's just had an audience with the king of kings? Notice in verse 42, again, he cast himself down. He didn't just kneel, he cast himself down. This tells me that Elijah's passionate. The idea is here again, like we saw James earnestly. Here he's stretched out, means he's throwing himself down before the Lord, meaning he's meaning business before God. The passion of his prayer. Prayer is seeking, prayer is asking, prayer is knocking. You say, well, I just don't believe the Lord wants all that emotion in our prayer. I don't believe the Lord wants all that intensity. Well, maybe you know more about how to pray than the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you how the Lord Jesus prayed. Hebrews 5 and verse 7, listen. Jesus had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Now, it's not easy to pray. I'd rather preach an hour than pray for half an hour. And some of my church members would say, amen, I believe that. And the reason is because of the concentration, the effort, and the energy. I tell you, dear friend, that all the powers of hell are going to come against you when you pray and when you intercede with Almighty God. But if that's where you meet with God and you get all power and you experience that practical victory, why wouldn't we want to pray? There's no better place of protection than in the presence of God. Notice in verse number 43, he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, there's nothing. I don't see anything. We're not getting anything out of this prayer meeting, Elijah. And Elijah said, go again seven times. And, and, and sometimes people say, I tried it. I tried it. It doesn't work. I tried it. It doesn't work. Tried it. It doesn't work. I tried. I remember at a, a um, revival meeting I was at a man came up to me and said I was at your men's meeting I was at this men's meeting and God dealt with me about the way I was treating my wife and I went home and I put it to practice and he said I want to tell you it didn't work it just didn't work I, I, I said oh, how long did you try it he said I tried doing what you said loving her and, and, and respecting her and, and I tried it for three days and it just didn't change everything I said, well, those 13 years that you were not doing it, it, it has quite an effect. And sometimes we have this mind, well, I didn't see anything. I don't. Seven times Elijah saying, go back and go back and go back. Why? Because Elijah has confidence in God. And Elijah knows. He knows that God's going to come. No miracle, listen, no miracle ever was performed. No miracle ever was performed in the Bible that did not first begin with the problem. The greater the problem, the greater the solution. Could it be that one reason we have great problems is that God wants to show us we have a great God? 
Luke 18 and verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Continue in prayer. Colossians 4 and verse 2. Look at verse 45. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. See, many Christians, again, I've said this already, don't spend much time praying because they don't believe that they will ever see answers. But God wants to teach us to pray. He wants to meet with us. Years ago, a man by the name of James Stewart, he was an evangelist primarily used in the European countries. He spoke at Bob Jones University on one occasion, and, and he was used in the mid-1900s. And James Stewart prayed that God would give him and what he called a praying evangelist to travel with him. And one day, a man came to him by the name of Herbert Brown. Herbert Brown said, Mr. Stewart, God wants me to travel with you. He wants me to be your praying evangelist. And James Stewart said, I just, God, this is an impossibility. God, this isn't going to work. See, the problem was Herbert Brown had been shell-shocked in the war. And he could not carry out a single sentence without stammering and stuttering and sputtering and spitting. And when he would talk, he would pump his leg trying to, to get the, the words out. And James Stewart said to God, God, he will embarrass you. God dealt with James Stewart, the evangelist, about his pride. And James Stewart said, okay, fine. I agree and let Herbert Brown accompany me. James Stewart began to recognize that God's hand was upon Herbert Brown. And James Stewart said, I would get into a crowd, and oftentimes James Stewart would go to like college settings and preach in the open air in hostile environments. And, and he said, and I would look, I would, I would look out across the crowd, and I'm looking for Herbert Brown. And I would see Herbert Brown off to the side, his hat off and his uh, face pointing heavenward, and James Stewart said, I just drew great consolation. On one occasion, James Stewart was preaching in an open-air meeting near a, uh, a college, and a group of antagonists were coming to disrupt the meeting. And James Stewart says, I see them approaching, and he's up on the platform. And he says, I look, and I scan the crowd, and I see Herbert Brown. And one of the things that Herbert Brown would say so often to James Stewart is this, Mr. Stewart, you preach, I'll pray, God will work. And he says, I see Herbert Brown praying, but I see this antagonistic crowd moving. He says, as I'm preaching, the leader of that antagonistic, atheistic crowd, he made his way up the steps to the platform where James Stewart was preaching. And that atheistic leader, he drew near, he drew his fist back to slug the evangelist. And as soon as he did, God paralyzed him and he was frozen in midair. Stewart said, I backed away as all eyes were on this phenomenon. And he said, after a few moments, God released him from his paralytic state and he retreated back into the crowd and everyone heard the wonderful story that God loves them, Jesus died for them, and the power of the gospel went forth. On one occasion, Herbert Brown came to James Stewart and said, Mr. Stewart, would you please pray 
that God would remove my stuttering. Now, one thing about Herbert Brown is this. He couldn't speak a single sentence without stuttering. But James Stewart said when we would pray, he literally would pray for hours before God to God, and he never stuttered once. Stewart said to Herbert Brown, I'll join you in praying. But Mr. Brown, I would rather have your stuttering with God's power that you have than be free of stuttering and not have the power that you experience. James Stewart said they prayed and but God chose to not release Herbert Brown from stuttering. But Stuart said he knew the power of God the remainder of his life. Why? Because God wants us to be able to pray as to making a difference. And he wants you and he wants me. The question is this, going forward, will you let Jesus teach you how to pray? Will you sign up for Jesus' class on prayer? Your pastor mentioned it, he's on a journey. This church is on a journey. Don't let God work around you. Will you join Jesus' class on prayer? Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I preach the burden you put on my heart, and I pray that you would use truth. You say if we embrace the truth, it'll liberate us, it'll free us. And may God's people continue to experience freedom. Lord, help us to see you've given us the ingredients. You've taught us to be transparent. You've taught us to get serious, have a seriousness and mean business in the matter of actually praying. And then you've taught us that there is an illustration, an illustration given that you can use an ordinary person be able to see extraordinary things happen. I pray that you would do something this week and going forward. You've been working long before I ever got here. Oh Lord, I, I ask that you would, what you're doing would continue to go deeper and the circle would continually widen and, and people would sign up and enlist and stay put in the school of Jesus. Lord, I pray that Grace Baptist Church will never look back, put their hands to the plow, not look back. We thank you for what you're doing. With heads bowed, and I'm going to just simply say it this way. Invitation tonight. If God has spoken to you and this week, and you want to come and just, again, make it known to Jesus. Make it known to, in a public fashion to others. I'm coming to say, I'm getting in on this. I, I, I am publicly putting my, my stake down. I 
whatever it takes, like Jacob, I'm not going to let God go until he blesses me in this area. If God didn't speak to you this week, will you still have time? In fact, I'd come and say, God, something's wrong with me because you're trying. You were, you were dialing my number. I just didn't answer. You can come and you can get right. I want to tell you again, God will do business with those who do business with God. So the question is, what about you?
just conclude this in prayer. And uh, as he explained to us last night, let's pray. Let's be transparent and uh, talk to the Lord. Let's just continue the invitation in this way. If God puts something on your heart, pray that thought. Just cry out to him. We're friends here, and we're all with our Father.